episode number five of Sleep for Performance Radio. In this episode, we have a chat with Marcel Brackey of the Super Rugby Team, the Western Force, and USA Eagles, the International Rugby Team. Episode number five of Sleep for Performance Radio. In this episode, I sit down and have a chat with Marcel Brackey of the Western Force and the USA rugby team called the Eagles. For those of you following Super Rugby recently, the Western Force is going through a bit of a tumultuous time, um, very difficult time for the Western Force as the ARU has announced that they will be axing the Western Force, so to speak, from the Super Rugby competition. But the fight is not dead within the Western Force. We speak a little bit about this today and we speak about the backing of Andrew Forrest from FMG and also the dedication of the fans here in Western Australia backing Super Rugby team, the the Western Force. In this episode we also speak about Marcel's childhood growing up in South Africa, his rise to Super Rugby and also um, some of the influences on his life after losing his, his dad at a young age. It's a very interesting episode. We, we bounce around a lot. We talk about many different things, including Marcel's hat-trick of Super Rugby tries that he scored, uh, how he copes with travel to new cities and international travel and, and how to really kind of focus before the games. There's lots of good nuggets of information in this one as well. Also, um, a very interesting personal account of Marcel's uh, journey into Super Rugby. So I hope you enjoy this episode. As always, the show notes will be up on iTunes and at the website, sleepforperformance.com.au. Hope you enjoy the episode. Did you watch the, you watch the fight on Sunday? Did I watch the fight on Sunday? No, I didn't. Because I didn't buy into the hype. <laughs> I didn't buy into the bullshit. And I wasn't paying the money for a fight that was completely manufactured for money. So I didn't buy the fight. However, I was trolling through YouTube. Do <laughs> you know what I heard this morning? I heard the reckon there was 100 million people illegally, illegally streaming the fight on YouTube and other sources as well. Wow. Absolutely crazy. Did you watch it? Yeah, I I went to the local a local pub and I bought myself a chicken parmi and and a pint. So I, in in a way, I did sort of buy into the fight as well. I was I was more curious than anything else, and yeah, I suppose I uh, I suppose I was one of the mass millions that contributed to the revenue stream of McGregor and Mayweather. So yeah. And so, what was your expert fight opinion then, Marcel? Oh, my expert fight opinion. Uh, was uh, one they knock each other out earlier, <laughs> which is uh, probably the length of my expertise, uh, pretty much. But yeah, it was it was cool. The skeptical will probably say that it was a uh, it was something that was always going to have one 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 finisher. But I I suppose I um, I was more curious than anything else, and I thought it was pretty cool just to see how well someone who's never boxed before could take someone who's one of the greatest of all time. Um, but I suppose, what do I know? <laughs> well, most men have been experts in the last two weeks. I've never heard so many, so many people. Yeah, exactly. There was a video going on on YouTube there, there or Facebook about people having um, boxing yeah, expert eyes or something. Did, did you, did you that. see that? Yeah. That was <laughs> 
All right, so we'll kick it off, Marcel. Marcel Brackey, for those of you who don't know, is um, what we what we write in science. We write this as a Marcel is a contracted elite rugby union player at the Western Force, and has also been capped by the USA rugby team. Sad, sad, very bad. Have you met Donald Trump yet, Marcel? As he represented um, USA. Um, I would think that Donald's got his hands full at the moment with plenty of other issues, which we're quite happy to. Uh, we'll, 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 if we greet him, he's clearly not uh, focused on subject matter at hand, which I think this morning got a little bit more heated. So uh, thankfully, we haven't had the pleasure of meeting him just yet. <laughs> Skipping over that question. <laughs> so Marcel, you, um, we, we met a couple of years ago from some of the work I've been doing at the Western Force. And... Um, it was pretty interesting when I met you first. I, I actually asked you because, uh, obviously, of your South African accent. And for those of you who can't see through the computer, uh, Marcel is a different color than me. He's not white. He's black. And so I thought Marcel was from Mauritius. And Marcel burst out laughing and said, Mauritius, where did he get that from? And I just thought, oh, you kind of look like you're from Mauritius. No, no, no. He goes, I'm actually an interesting uh, mix between two different cultures. So do you want to explain, Marcel, your kind of ethnic background and how you end up getting chosen for the USA rugby team? Because I know somebody's probably on the, on the podcast listening going, wait now, this dude is South African. What, what's going on? I, I'm just, I'm losing something here and they're probably rewinding it. So can you explain this background and how you end up to, one, play, per, play rugby in Perth in Western Australia, but be selected for the USA, but have this like Cape Town accent? <laughs> it is wow yeah I, I, when you put it that way i am sort of like this uh you know those those uh, street animals those street dogs that you see which is an inbreed of different uh, different animals and in, in a way i am sort of similar to that but um yeah so i was uh i was born in the united states of america my mother is south african and my father is uh was uh, american um my father and his family are originally from Louisiana um, in, in the United States, and my mother is originally from Cape Town in South Africa, and they met um, in Los Angeles, where I, I was conceived and born. Um, my parents separated when I was rather young, um, but my father still had a, a, quite, a, quite an influence in my life um, up until his passing um, when I was around four years old. Um, at this stage, I was in Cape Town, South Africa, uh, where I then spent the next uh, next little next the, my formative years I spent within Cape Town, um, schooling and uh, initial years of university were spent there, um, to which I was then offered a contract to come and um, play rugby union for the Western Force in Perth, um, and uh, I, I've been here since uh, the end of two thousand and thirteen. Um, and another, just to add, just to cap it off, I met my uh, very blonde, blue-eyed North uh, North Californian girlfriend, uh, who's now become my fiance. So we will be spreading the genes uh, throughout our our lives together as well. So um, yeah, just to cap it off, just like that. That's that's pretty interesting. I actually love sometimes. Sometimes I get in trouble for asking people about ethnic background, and I think in today's world, sometimes you can be perceived as being like a bit like defensive or nearly even racist. But I'm actually really interested. The more someone is culturally mixed, ethnically diverse, the more interest I get, and I think it's fascinating. And the more extreme the cultures, the better it is. When you were speaking about like uh, the last point there about your girlfriend, I started remember remembering a story 
in 2003, I traveled around South Africa and Swaziland. And I was in this national park in Swaziland and you could stay in these kind of hostel huts, but you could also camp as well on the grounds. And we were chanting to this couple who were camping and it was a little bit odd. I was like, there's something not right about these, this couple here. One of them was Israeli and the other one was German and they were both ex-military. And I was like, you would never find an ex-Israeli soldier and an ex-German soldier as a couple, female and male, you know, camping in Swaziland. And it was really weird. But the two of them obviously had come from those different backgrounds, really different. But then it become these kind of hippies nearly and were camping and traveling around, smoking pot. Um, so yeah, it was quite funny. So when you start seeing people who you'd never think would mix, mixing, I find it, I find it really interesting. So it's, it's pretty weird. So you said your dad passed away at four years of age. Um, what, what was that like losing losing your dad so young and not having that male influence? Like, how did you, you said he was quite actively involved in your childhood up until four. What was that like from four? Can you remember it? And how did you kind of progress past that? Well, to clarify, the active part of fatherhood is such that, you know, you'd want to be there as much as you yourself would want to be involved. I think um, my dad has... Um, I I also had uh, two older half sisters, um, and my one of my older half sisters unfortunately was killed in a hit and run accident um, prior to my birth. But I think um, my father always struggled with that loss, um, and I'm speaking to my sister even these days. She's she even felt uh, prior to my dad's passing that her relationship with um, our dad actually deteriorated post that and I you can completely understand it I mean I, I don't think no I don't think any parent would want to lose any child in any circumstance let alone the one that he had had and um, I think because of that I don't think I had as great um, an active lifestyle with my father as I probably would have wanted although granted he was we did speak or did you know spend time with each other limited but at least we did spend some time prior to us moving to Cape Town in South Africa and moving on to your your question about that influence it's it's an interesting thing in that I never really felt the you know the absence of a father figure I, I was very lucky to grow up with quite a um, quite an involved grandfather um, and and grand grandmother that and so my grandparents were very active in my life um, as well as you know having quite a close knit family of cousins and uncles and aunts um, so I my my mom in that in that regard um, in my life she's she's been the greatest um, greatest influence and greatest person for me you know she played two roles um, as well as trying to live her own life. Um, but with regards to an absentee male figure, I think I gained that in terms of different aspects of what I see a male figure to be, you know, um, um, through my uncle and through my grandfather and through other cousin, older cousins and older male figures, I was able to get a grasp and get a sense as to what I believe a respectable man should be, um, as well as the, the grounding and the foundations that my mother was um, very stern in terms of um, placing into me from a young age and I'm, I'm very grateful for that and very grateful for the life that I've had um, even without having a father figure um, but yeah it's, uh, it's 
it's just one of those things i guess yeah yeah no it's very it's very interesting and on a personal note um uh you, stri- you strike a chord with me when you speak about this um because at the age of about 18 months i lost my dad in a hit and run accident he was killed by a, a drunk driver but i never knew about it till i was about 10 because i was raised by a stepfather who was my my dad like growing up and so only recently in the last um probably in the last 14 months i've actually got in contact with that part of my family um which has been quite interesting and um yeah it's just interesting to see that other side that you may or may not have been connected with so that's why i was interested about your ability to kind of get over that and, and go forward um so yeah it's uh you kind of struck a chord with me there the podcast is about sleep and performance for athletes <laughs> and i don't want to get into like you know ancestry.com but it is kind of interesting about backgrounds and and how people pro- pro- progress and i find as well when i talk to people who are you know perform at high levels whether it be in sport or business whatever there seems to be this idea that people come from this kind of cookie cutter upper middle class background perfect family you know and so it's not everybody is born in this perfect idyllic situation and we all have these challenges to reach these you know heights of whatever we are doing whether it's playing rugby whether it's studying whether it's working in business whether it's being a soldier whether it's being a runner whatever it might be you're doing i think people come from different backgrounds so it is interesting to hear people's stories along that way but i am keen to know marcel how did you start playing rugby was it just a south african thing what age did you start what attracted you to rugby was it the camaraderie was it the was it aggression was it just the ability to meet girls what, what was it what, what, what got you into rugby well the, well, the girls part obviously <laughs> you know, I'm kidding and um, you touched on it, the South African influence of it and I think that plays a major part um, I only really started playing rugby once I attended the first first grade of um, uh, junior school and obviously once you get there you're introduced to um, a sense of what we call in South Africa park rugby, which is just kids with a ball running around and learning the fundam not the fundamentals, but why you play the game is to become involved and meet new mates and meet kids within your grade and and the love grows from there, I guess. And then you want to be you want to understand the game more. You want to get better at the game and that competitive level increases as you grow up but what also increases is a lot of levels of maturity at at a young age in terms of learning values and um, friendships that the game will give you and the way that you can learn a lot about yourself between winning and losing and understanding the need to be um, humble in some situations but also learning from other things as well and I think it took me a few years to um, I was very um, lucky that I picked the game up quite quickly and did okay growing up but it took me a bit longer to learn that humility um, balanced with the competitive side of of wanting to play sports so once that became uh, clear to me I think that's when I really enjoyed the game and and because I was learning to get on with my teammates as well as enjoying the game itself. I think sometimes you you might get a bit lopsided in either one of those two things, but yeah. Yeah, it's pretty important that you have to um, not only like, you know, as you say, have humility and enjoy the game, 
like you said, get on in these teams. And for me as a youngster playing rugby as well, um, it is interesting because it does lay down a foundation for life. Because even if when you do leave rugby and you want to move into like maybe a corporate environment, having that sort of that balance between relationships, getting the job done can be quite um, can be quite difficult. And I know from previous experience from those who probably worked with me, I'm, can be, I can be very task focused and completion focused and sometimes leave out the people. And it's not because I don't value the people, but I'm just so focused on getting the result for the good of people at the end of the day. But sometimes, yeah, getting that balance can, can be really quite difficult. So Marcel, you played you played rugby as a as a teenager um, um, in South Africa. When did you when did you decide that you were going to move into sort of the elite phase of your career and play professional rugby? Did you decide that was something you wanted to do, or did it just come through you? Did it just come to you? Sorry for for more opportunistic from maybe being seen at games by scouts, or how did you kind of progress from that sort of school to then elite rugby? I left school at the age of 18 with the idea that that was probably the last year that I would be playing rugby at a highly competitive level. I always excelled in cricket and cricket was, and to this day, one of my true loves and passions. Um, And I went on a gap year, I returned, I entered university and I led a very, um, you know, a very erratic lifestyle as a student. I, I didn't put my focus in studies itself. I put my focus in the extramural and outside activities of student life. And, you know, my, my grades and my lifestyle sort of paid, you know, paid, you know, for that, that, type, of, that type of thinking and that type of way of life. And it only came towards the I started playing for a, a, a friend's social side, which it, it's a group of mates that have been playing had been playing in this social league for about a decade, and I joined in, and I, I, I found a calling again to find that competitive and, and fun side of what sport's all about, and, and rugby happened to be it. I mean, it was quite funny. You know, a few years before, I had thought, oh, that's rugby done for me, but returning, I found a passion and a love for it again, and I'd been then because the social side was played within the university, uh, uni- I was very lucky that the social side did well enough to to win its social league that year. However, there were a few scouts that were watching for the university team. And, you know, before you know it, they had invited me to a pre-season training camp. And in South Africa, we've got this growing competition called the Varsity Cup, which is a combination of all the universities in South Africa play. And what has now become one of the premier competitions because of the organization and the talent that comes through on a yearly basis and I remember thinking to myself okay look if you're not going to focus on your studies as hard and this is where you've come you're going to have to work twice as hard to get yourself in the right frame of mind and physical condition to actually even give this university rugby thing a shot and I it was the first time that I'd ever said to myself put your head down and really just go for it and I and I did and that year we we happened to do quite well i i had a really good tournament we made it to the final um i think was brought into the western province which is the local provincial side um of the of the western cape known as one of the older older sides western province which was a childhood dream of mine to play um i then got brought into the stormer squad and earned my first contract in 2011 
So, and then it just sort of whirlwinded to the point where I was, you know, gaining a few more caps and another contract. And before you know it, I, I was offered a pl- chance to come and play for the force, which three years earlier, I, I couldn't dream of even playing rugby for the university side, let alone being able to come across to Australia with an opportunity to live and play rugby um, outside of South Africa. So I, I, I'd say that I'm quite lucky in the grounding that I had over what I used to be thinking I wanted to do with life and, um, you know, just thinking that life was a party to having the opportunity to actually work towards something greater than what I viewed as a very selfish lifestyle which I led. And I hurt a lot of family members around me and friends who I've managed to gain the trust and love back through playing sport. So it's i know a lot of kids these days go straight from school and continue on that pathway and i think that's a great pathway to go and i also value the background that i had in terms of it so elite training for me has only really been in the last seven years really of my life and i've loved and enjoyed every minute of it yeah that's that's cool to hear because again i think people think you just you know it's like the dream of you know <clears throat> you just get picked out of school you get on this career path and you're an elite athlete and everything is done for you where you had this kind of very um as you recall there yourself this kind of a dip and sort of just getting focused on partying and go crazy but let's be honest about it that's what that's what, that's what a lot of guys do between 18 and 22 so it's it's not all bad not all is lost so it's still it's still quite interesting um you know that we go through that and come back out and sometimes it you know, not having a purpose actually shows us, I think, why we need to have a purpose. I just finished re- reading uh, Victor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meaning, and he was imprisoned in, uh, in Auschwitz during World War Two. Very famous psychologist and the work that he's done afterwards. But he, he, you know, talks about to get through that as having a purpose. And he believes that true happiness in life comes from, you know, humans having a purpose in life, not just doing things to attain that kind of minute by minute pleasure. It's about having this purpose. So it's interesting that you talk about, you know, having this purpose about getting rugby and kind of once you start putting your energy into something good, good things happen. And I think that's for a lot of things in life. You know, we focus on the the negative or we focus on the fear, then the negative and the fearful things happen. But we focus on the positive and positive things happen. So it's really cool to hear that. And that's awesome. So now you've come to this elite level. You've been training for seven years. The Western Force um, is the most traveled super rugby team in the Super Rugby competition, and they're actually the most travelled professional team in the world, more so than second, the Oakland Raiders, um, formerly the LA Raiders when I was growing up. That's yeah. So work out through the maths there. Um, so yeah, I used to have one of those LA Raider hats. I used to think I was really cool. I think it was 1993. I had one of those on. Yeah. I'm as white as snow, and wearing this hat, I did not look like I was cool. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. I saved up for that hat and everything. Yeah. Five Irish pound. <laughs> don't even have Irish pounds anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I forgot the question. So what was I talking about? Travel. Travel, yeah. So, <laughs> you do all this travel, you have this high workload, you're traveling around Australia, you're traveling internationally. What do you do, Marcel, to try and make sure that you're ready for these training sessions, which can be quite intense, but also be ready for the games? I'm quite interested to hear about how you manage sort of uh, jet lag, 
how you sleep on planes, how you sleep in hotels, this constant change in environment, which can be quite difficult. Some people think it's great just traveling around, flying around, but it can be quite disruptive. How do you kind of tackle that problem in, in your super rugby career? So with we're very lucky at the force to have um, very educated and very professional both strength and conditioning coaches, um, at heads of athletic departments that have done the research with guys like yourself to in within the modern time work out what's the best measure or best way to get the most out of a perform out of an athlete's performance come weekend time so for me it's a it's a lot of trust placed within those those um, expert experts uh, but it's also takes quite a lot of onus on yourself because I think each person's different in terms of how they work I have uh, quite a I'm quite an energetic person so it's for me it's not too difficult to try and get up for a session or try to get up for going out for a walk around but even I know my limitations and I know that sometimes I I, I do need a lay down or a stretch or, or, or whatever it is just purely out of feel um, we're generally given a, a framework of, of when to sleep either on the flight or once we get into the hotel as you said we're quite the most travel team in sport but along with that we're probably the most isolated side in terms of that so we're constantly crossing time zones so within the first year um, at the force it was a bit different for me so I, I sort of just followed the trainer thought that other players or what the the uh, coaches were prescribing um, and that changed from the second year for me and then the third and then finally this year so it's all about working out the what works best for you as a person so uh, I often find that once I get in to a new place or city we, we, we do a stretch or a swim just to try and get the body moving a little bit um, I then know whether or not I need to sleep but also you're trying to work out um, throughout the week how am I going to get the most out of myself just rising on an, an upward curve so that come game time be it Friday, Saturday, Sunday I'm at my peak performance and it's all about measuring um, what your body needs more than what you want out of uh, this new exciting place that you might be in yeah because I think a lot of people think oh man I'm going to Santiago and Chile you know or I'm going to or um, you know I'm going to go to Buenos Aires in Argentina you know and they think um, oh it's really cool to go and see these things but you're there for business you're there for a job you're there to get ready for a game you're there to get over this jet lag play this game against a very competitive side you know um, and it can be can be quite difficult or you go to South Africa and we all know even if we go on holidays it can be quite difficult to adjust to those new time zones now, you guys had a crazy trip this year where you went from Perth to South Africa, South Africa to Argentina, Argentina, and then back to Perth. You played four games in the space of four weeks, you know, um, and, it's, and it's quite crazy and it's very difficult to kind of adjust. And I, don't, I think it's difficult as well for Sanzar, the governing body of Super Rugby, to, no matter what way to cut it, to give you guys a fair deal. It's very difficult in terms of the travel. Um, but I do, I, I do have to say, looking at it back from my objective and emotional subjective uh, analytical part of Sanzar draws it is very much in favour of East Coast teams I think in a, in a, for anybody it's going to favour it's probably the, the Kiwi teams 
you know, in terms of travel and so on. So it is kind of interesting, but it is difficult again to, to do it. Marcel, what's a typical week when you're at home? What does a typical week look like for you guys when you're um, in season training? What sort of what sort of hours are you guys putting in, um, and what sort of re- recovery periods would you have? So generally during the week, um, for instance, if we had played a game on the Saturday, we'd have the day off on on Sunday, um, try and find some sort of recovery, whether it's just stretching at home or going to the beach if the weather's okay just to get in the water to just prepare yourself for the week coming ahead Monday's seen as an installation type day so we'll come in a little bit later um, on a Monday around about 10am screening um, is uh, the first thing that we do with the physios just to make sure uh, that all the bodies and everyone's pretty much sound um, for training um, if there's any hiccups whatsoever they generally pull you from installation day just because there's no real point in you uh, just giving you that they find it and obviously we we trusted that just giving them the extra day um, and using installation day as that extra day just to recover um, so that by Tuesday training we're ready to go so we'll come in and see the the physio staff and athletic heads and do a, uh, do a nice flush out gym session in the morning um, we'll then have lunch uh, there'll generally be a team meeting or review of the previous game on the weekend um, whereby then we'll be heading down to the field for an installation session which generally has us running around and just running maybe some patterns or um, ideas for the coming week um, not at high speed but just generally getting the legs moving so that we're ready to go fresh for Tuesday um, will then generally so, be done so, so this is a low cognitive load and a low physical load on this day this, that's what it is will it be that's what they try yeah. that, that's what we try and do um, getting ready for Tuesday um, which is a, a, a tougher day um, so Tuesday will come in a, a lot earlier around 8am um, again screening is, is imperative and does every day um, Tuesdays have us doing a morning session um, which is generally the one of the tougher sessions that we'll do during the week. So we really get the body moving, um, get some contacts in, um, and then we'll be done prior to lunch, whereby we'll then do jump in ice baths or spas uh, and head to lunch. Uh, there'll be a good hour break, maybe two hour break for lunch. We then come back together, uh, whereby the forwards and backs will split for unit sessions. Uh, to really just hone in on the skills and um, ideas that we will be hopefully implementing for the game coming. Uh, we'll, the forwards will do scrums and lineouts um, and just go over some key triggers that they need to go through, whereas the backs will go through their starter um, or their set plays, um, as well as looking at some of the defensive cues that we can look forward to for the weekend. Um, and whilst the forwards are out, the backs will gym and vice versa uh, we then have Wednesday off um, so, so before we talk about Wednesday Marcel you're a back so people are going he's talking about forwards and backs you're a back but then the backs can be broken into different different players again it gets quite complex for those who are not rugby background could you just briefly describe the difference between forwards and backs forwards are big and yeah. slow and backs are fast yeah. and lean <laughs> could you describe basically what's the difference between forwards and backs and then the positions that you play and what's the difference of those and the backs so 
for for all the forwards out there, you there there's the old saying that forwards win the game and backs depend. Take the, glory. take the glory and, and sort of uh, depend, like, sort of set the tone as to how, by how much we win by. Uh, the forwards are generally doing the, the hard yards up front. Um, it's a lot of the larger, um, stronger boys uh, within the eight. Um, and the backs are sort of more nimble, uh, faster and, and more agile. However, the times are changing to where you'll have 15 players and they all pretty much look similar in build and shape um, yeah, so, yeah that's that's what i was watching like their rugby on the weekend australia versus new zealand and you start looking at people like even like israel Flau, dan hela petty and i was like wait now dan hela petty as a as a fullback for the force playing on the wing is probably bigger than michael hooper who's playing wing forward in the pack so you're right it's nearly become homogenous bit like rugby league where the backs are like mega look at curtis rona how big is he like you know, you got some big backs in the back line at Western Force. So you're right, There's a, it is interesting. So it's not always cut and dry. That is the yeah. thing, is that with like any sport, it's getting faster. Uh, it's getting, the players are, are stronger, more agile for the sizes that they are. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the game progresses over the next 10, 12 years in terms of speeds and mm-hmm. uh, physical, you know, exertion from, from players. Um, within the backs, you, you know, I'm I'm a utility back, so I could be ranging anywhere from the centres to the wings and the fullback region. So, um, you you generally these days have a skill mixed with power within the centres, um, and then speed and power on the edges, and then um, uh, looking at the way Dane plays, he sort of incorporates all those things because he's a, a thinking player. He's really powerful, um, and he's agile. Um, so uh, he's. He, he sort of exudes that in terms of the modern day fullback. Um, your scrummers are still generally your distributors and, and, and game players um, between scrum off and fly off. So it's sort of your quarterbacks between the yeah. nine and 10 if you're talking gridiron. Um, so yeah, the, the, the game is changing in terms of both the, the physical nature of it um, and also, you know, just the size of the players. It's it's, it's crazy to think that 19-year-olds are looking like Rico Ioani is and, and scoring, you know, six tries and six test matches at, against opposition, which aren't, you know, just willy-nilly. They're, they're some of the best rugby players in the world are coming out of school. Um, so it's 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 wonderful as a 29 year old to see that <laughs> well uh, just before we move on to what happens on a wednesday i just want to make the comment of like back in 1995 world cup how, how old were you in 95 marcel so 95 i was around seven eight years old so it's seven or eight years of age and i was like you know i think i was like 16 17 17 watching the rugby world cup as a crazy youngster playing wing forward at the time you'd never think i was wing forward looking at me now um wouldn't even make the grade for a scrum half but um <laughs> I remember watching that and looking at people like John Alomu who were like smashing onto the scene as a, as a winger and being that big. And then you see people like, you know, that's the average winger now nearly, that big and that size. Or you see youngsters who a few years ago, like when I first met one hunger at the Western Force, he's like 6'3 and 120 kilos, something like 19 years of age, big, strong, powerful dude. And it's just, I don't know, it's like, it's like people get made in factories now. It's absolutely crazy. So... Yeah, I wouldn't like to be tackling people out in that field now. <laughs> yeah, fair play to Matt Hodgson who played for as long yeah, as he did because yeah. I think he's just a little bit younger than me. And I don't know, you know, man, I I go I go home tense after watching the game. My jaw's sore, my shoulders are sore. I can't sleep. I don't know how you guys do it. 
So what happens on a Wednesday then? Now you're kind of into this pre-game mode. You're starting to look forward to the next game. So what, what would a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday be like before the game? So as we've probably gone hard on or test, tested ourselves on the Tuesday, Wednesdays are seen as the off day. Um, I say that because um, we're, we're not training, but guys come in for massages, physio appointments, stretches, re- just general recovery day. So you'd come into the building for a couple hours. Some guys are very good with coming in and analyzing more, um, looking at the opponents. A lot of the game leaders, a lot of the guys in key positions will be doing that. And a lot of guys just looking to you know, possibly get one up on you know their opponent for the weekend so there's a lot of analyzing that'll probably be going on during the weekend especially on a wednesday so um you 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 use that wednesday as a as a chance just to get your body and your mind ready because now it's it's as you said it's turning into the last few days before game time uh come thursday it's generally seen as a the last real um, show before the, the last real sideshow before we we go into the the game preparation on Friday and Saturday. So we'll just go through our final preparation in terms of plays, calls, uh, maybe having one final contact session and just get the shoulders ready for the weekend, um, and another flush gym session. So it's an optional gym session generally on a Thursday, and a lot of guys will go in and just get that final pump go and get the body keep it keep it moving really um friday comes and we have a a morning uh captain's run for the 23 that will be involved in the game uh on the if should the game be on the saturday uh and the captain's run will be no longer than about an hour um that's including jersey presentation um and final conversations about the game so on field probably about half an hour and within the sheds just getting our motivation and and game uh, jersey presentations done within that also being half an hour and then the afternoon is completely off to you so then you've, you've pretty much got i'd say between 36 hours until you know kickoff um in some stages um and then saturday night comes and um, it's pretty much game time. We meet a couple hours before the game, um, and then just get a few stretches going. Head to the sheds, and yeah, then you you've you've pretty much been in game mode since around about midday, which is cool. So the captain's run is like in fights where you do the win. You kind of you know posture of it. it. You're kind of showing off what you're ready to go for. You got this like 24 to 36, 36 hours before the game. Can you talk about how you kind of relax yourself? Because it's a fine balance between relaxing before the game and then hyping yourself up. How do you kind of ramp down from the week, get enough sleep, you know, but also mentally get yourself in the zone and then ramp up on the day? Can you talk about that 24, 36 hours? How do you come down and get back up? I think I, for me personally, it's been um, a, a, quite a journey in terms of getting to that particular point of being... Um, calm and and you know ramp, as you say ramping yourself up towards the moment i think earlier in my career um i used to get so excited about a game and you know you just you just laying there in bed and going through it and then you know come game time you're almost exhausted because you've been thinking about the game and replaying it through your mind and as i've gotten older i just find that you can really calm yourself the night before just by your preparation from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, just by, for me, knowledge is confidence. 
Um, and if I know exactly what work, what I need to do in terms of helping the team and excelling in my particular role, that gives me a lot of confidence and keeps me really calm because I know that I've done the work during the week. Um, that way, during the afternoon, I can completely switch off. I don't need to think about the game because in my, with, through my preparation, I'm I'm personally my physically and mentally ready for the game. Um, I know a lot of guys may have different routines and and like we said before each person is different in terms of the way that they prepare for a game um some guys like to sleep on game day a couple they um sleep in so sleep quite late some guys like to get up early go for a walk maybe a swim at the beach uh, a coffee um so everyone's different and i think it's just about getting that individual's um you know getting that individual's mind in the in the place where they can peak, um, come come game time, um, and it's taken me a couple of years, but I, I I sort of have a routine now which I work towards. And so conversely as well, what would be your routine after the game? So for those not familiar, it's an eighty minute game. It's quite physical. You're under the lights. There's people screaming at you. One minute they're clapping, the next minute they're screaming at you, calling you an asshole for dropping the ball. You know. Like it's, it's it's quite an intense. For anybody who sat in a stand, especially here in Perth, it's not a big city, but man, the fans are quite intense when you sit in the crowd with them, and they're just they're so passionate and a bit crazy. And so, like, you, if the lights going, people screaming, all this physical impact. Like you say, you're cognitively engaged, you're physically engaged, and then it's like game over, right, lads? You got to start thinking instantly about next week and and recovering. How do you ramp down after a game like that? Because that's like I say, for me, coming back after watching it, it can be like two o'clock in the morning for me going to sleep. How, how do you guys do it? Yeah, so times have obviously changed where uh, post-match, um, it's, it's, it's really important that everyone recovers to the best of their abilities to get the most out of their body because within six or seven days, we're going to be doing the exact same thing. Uh, as you said, the... Uh, uh, Wanting to, you'd, you'd think after an 80 minute performance of just physically knocking another person, um, more more so in my my case, I'm getting knocked senseless, but um, just physically exerting yourself to that point that you're just absolutely fatigued, you actually struggle to get to sleep because of obviously the, the amount of adrenaline that's pumping through, natural adrenaline that's pumping through your body, you know, you're, you're taking plenty of water and Gatorade and um, your body's going through these massive ups and then suddenly you're trying to bring it down and it doesn't come down obviously as um, quickly as you think so it's all about that Sunday so you know that you're not going to be getting as much sleep so it's important obviously once again it goes down to the individual some guys will go to sleep at two and just wake up naturally at seven um, and then it's all about just recovering through that Sunday. Some guys actually fall asleep pretty easily after a game, and they'll sleep through till about mid morning um, as well. So for guys, some guys it's different. Um, and then, um, as I said earlier, with in terms of preparation for the game, post match is also quite individually based, and and some individuals uh, recover differently to others. But as long as they're ready come Monday. Um, I think it's it's quite um, it's quite isolated. it's quite individually based in that regard. Cool, Marcel. I want to I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, 
the fact that you went for so many years in Super Rugby with never scoring a try and then all of a sudden you scored like what three in one game what, what was that like because that was the first time you, the Sunwolves had been in the Super Rugby competition it was the first time Western Force had travelled to Japan um, it was quite a, quite a difficult journey you went through Sydney I think and up that way and um yeah, then I then I was looking at it on TV and I was like, man, look at look at Bracky. He doesn't score one try, he scores three. What, why do you think that happened? Was it something that changed in your mindset? Was it something about being in that venue? Did what 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 was it? Because it was quite quite bizarre. I, I I don't know if anybody's ever done that in any sort of rugby competition. Well, I must say my sleep was really good that week in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it it's quite it's it's interesting that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd gone a few games where I had opportunities to score prior. I'd, I'd made a huge hash of a try in the first game of the 2015 season. You could probably YouTube it and have a look. It's quite uh, um, it's quite a comedy show, that's for sure. Um, thankfully, you won that game. But, you know, in the week of the Tokyo game, it's much like we spoke about where how do we... How do we uh, forego all the distractions of a new city and a hustle and bustle city like Tokyo where there are so many distractions um, and that week you know obviously we traveled to Sydney and from Sydney to Tokyo uh, so there's quite a bit of travel involved um, and once we got there uh, things just sort of fell into place in a way and we had struggled with wins that se- last season and come Saturday it was quite strange we we actually conceded a try within the first couple minutes and from there we just we just clicked into gear and we played some of the best rugby that we would continue to play for the duration of the season really um and you know i scored an intercept first up which is always probably the the best way that i could have done it because i couldn't really think i just did and then (laughs) as i was getting to the trial and i was thinking to myself okay do i so what do I do here? So I, the ball needs to go down over the line. Okay, cool. Let me just get it down. Um, and then I just, you know, once, you, once you're in it and, every, and everyone's on the same page, I'm sort of just finishing off the work that the rest of the team is doing as as, as happened. Uh, the, the second try came off some great play between Ian Pryor, Carl Godwin and Dan Halepetti and I sort of just find myself in the space oh, and score. Oh, wait, no, we can't talk about Kyle Godwin because he's a traitor. He's gone to the Brumbies now, isn't he? And I see him in some Land Rover ad as well. And we won't, we won't, we'll edit him out. Well, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge fan of Kyle Godwin and he'll always be a, a close mate and, and Perth local. So we've, we've contributed to Australian rugby in that what, what do you mean Perth local? Isn't he from like Zimbabwe? <laughs> Well, his, rugby, his formative rugby years were here in Perth, so I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. Um, uh, and yeah, much the same in terms of the third try. So it was just one of those freak incidences where I just happened to find myself in the right place at the right time, and I scored my first, second, and third Super Rugby tries. So, um, I, you know, it, it's quite funny. I never really see or really have the ambition of scoring many tries in my life but you know you can you can sort of understand why people have the once they get the bug of scoring a try they just want more but yeah I, I, I've always seen myself as sort of like a, a, a link player in that regard and it never really bothered me that I hadn't scored tries I just wanted us to win you know winning games was more way more important than individual success and I think um it sounds, that sounds so cliche and so cheesy, but it, it really was. And once I had got into a stage where I just wasn't scoring, I just didn't really think about it or really care about 
what was what others were saying about me being a winger not having scored it was just white noise to me really just yeah. the main thing was can we just get some victories on the board and um, especially with a tough season like last year that's all you're looking to do is just try and get the team over the line and get some victories and um, yeah it you know, I always saw the potential there and it eventually just came through on an upward, slightly upward curve uh, towards the end of the season last year with the Spirit and obviously this year we didn't do too badly. So this season, um, Marcel, is arguably one of the better seasons of uh, the Western Force since its inception back in 2005, six, six. six? I was at that first game. I, fl- I was living in Dampier, which is in the Pilbara region. We actually flew down and met a weekend of it. But uh, I think I had one too many beers. It was at Subiaco Oval. And if I remember rightly, it was Daylight Savings trial as well. So it was like 36 degrees during the game. And it was really hot. And people were standing in sort of um, out of the sun. But I do remember there was no Australians at the game. It was all Irish, English, Welsh, Scots, Kiwis and Saffirs all screaming in the crowd. So it was quite, it was quite interesting. Um, there was lots of, lots of whiskey getting handed around as well. Anyway... <laughs> So this this season has been quite good for the Western Force, and obviously there's been um, at the time of recording this podcast, which today is the 29th of August, there's been obviously the, the poor decision by the ARU to get rid of the Western Force out of the Super Rugby competition. And for those of you following a local um, um, sort of I don't know millionaire billionaire Andrew Forrester, head of FMG. Um, Donald Trump-esque type guy has uh, jumped up and down to help out the force and has pledged some money behind it as well, which is, which is great to see businesses. And I wish more businesses in the town would actually support the Western force. But I would be interested to hear, Marcel, through this time of turbulent potential change for you guys with the NRC, the Spirit team, obviously getting back up. I think this weekend you got the first game. Through this time, the future of the force next year, how are you balancing yourself personally with this kind of state of flux? How are you focusing on what what's at hand, trying to stay positive about next season? And you know that's that's a, that's that's a nice way to be. But on the other hand, too, it may mean the end of your Western Force Super career, and you may have to go to another country, another team. You know, there's kind of it's very it's a it's a, it's a very weird time for for you and for for the guys. How are you personally coping with it at the moment? I'm. Uh, as as I've said, you know, I'm I'm quite a, I, I'm driven by the energy that others around me, you know, tend to give off, and you know, if it's low, I'll try pick it up. But generally, I try and soak in a lot of the energy that's been, you know, surround that is surrounding me. Um, I'm very lucky that I've got a fiance who's an optimist to the end. You know, she's a, she's a very, very positive person and she always says that I, I'm telling you right now that this is going to be the best story um, that that you'll read about because it's, it is Hollywood-esque. You know, this team, um, this team of, of misfits comes together and uh, performs through such a tumultuous year as this year has been and we come second in the conference, then they cut us then we have this unbelievable supporter and Andrew Forrest come in and, 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 and take us to the next, you know, venture and, and appeals a judicialist decision. And, um, you know, now we're, we're at a stage where we're just waiting on whether or not um, the decision will be overturned. But um, like I said, you know, I've got a great support system at home, both in Cape Town and here in Perth. And the I, I think the best support system is us just as players, just 
sticking together and management staff the coaches have been unbelievable the organization itself has been unbelievable because it's not just the players that are going through this uncertainty you know it's the players partners you know it's the organization staff or the administration upstairs you know from the ceo to the marketing staff to the sales team to the the media group um the coaches of course the coaches must be feeling it, it, because i mean it's very different because coaches can't exactly they have a highlights reel in terms of you know their performance to the year you know they they're using that that's what the team does you know um so they've been unbelievable and we've just stuck together as a real tight group um we we, we express how we're feeling and we help each other through that it's the support of the the, the supporters themselves um you know, constant text messages, emails, social media updates, and and people doing things like the Save the Force rally, uh, like the wearing of the blue to the Wallabies against the Springboks game next Saturday night at NIB. It's all these things that have not only made this time a lot easier, but I think it's really galvanized Perth and WA rugby to say, you know what, we're actually here, we love this game and we're here to stay. Um, and with Andrew Forrest's amazing passion and, and love for the state and for this game, we, we see ourselves being here, whether or not it's in Super Rugby, we hopefully see ourselves here as a as a, as a Western Force organisation for years to come. Because you can see, as many have said, you, know, you can see the grassroots and you can see the, the players starting to come through the system that was built 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a team like the Force being the pinnacle for these rugby players, players it's what they strive to be within wa um and obviously the wallabies would be the ultimate goal for any rugby player with playing within australia but it's that pathway you need that pathway within within um within the state and the force is that so um back to your question it really is just supporting each other um, be it family be it friends be it players be it supporters be it admin staff coaching we, we've really just lent on each other and really just used rugby as a way for us just to show um that you know there are good things happening here um and you just you just need to give it a shot really yeah that's 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 great marcel i think that's a great answer and it's and it's great to hear that you guys are sticking together and you're not being fragmented or fractured through this whole process and you're right it has ramifications to everybody like here at this small center of sleep science at university of western australia we were disappointed because over the last two to three years we've had an, an arrangement or an agreement or a partnership with you guys around doing sleep research and some of the stuff for jet lag and so on and we had tim in this year doing doing his study as an honors project you know and um there was even potential talk about Tim possibly doing a PhD, you know, and doing some more studies with you guys. And so even for Tim as a youngster, it affects him. It affects, and it has all these negative effects, like you say. But even when I run to people in the, on the terrorists in town, and when I do work in business, in mining, those guys are asking about it. Those guys are kind of pissed off about it too, because, you know, this is, this is, their, this is their home team. And people fought for a long time to have rugby in this town. And it's a shame to see it potentially may go. So it's great to hear that you guys are just as passionate about the whole thing. Um, and that you guys aren't looking out the door yet. You're kind of, you know, hunkered down, gathered together and, and going to fight this. So it's, it's awesome to hear. Um, and I think it's I think it's great. Um, I got an email from Dave Wessels um, last week. Um, and then he signed off underneath it. Uh, looking forward to talking next week about 2018 and what we can do. And I thought... Man, that's such an inspirational email. Like I read that on a Saturday morning, I was just 
cleaning out some emails and I read that and I was like, that's so inspirational because there's a man with the odds stacked against him, youngest coach in Super Rugby, you know, got into that position through another coach being removed and sort of had a crazy season, did so well, has all this kind of stuff thrown at him and the man is just upright, you know, heading into the wind. You know, it's, it's inspira- inspirational. Actually going to interview David this Thursday for the podcast as well to talk about sort of around that in the leadership space. So it's great to hear. So Marcel, um, we've had a very wavy conversation there. Probably not lots about sleep, but a very interesting conversation. What would be your number one sleep tip before we go that you would tell people to do? What's worked maybe best for you that you would encourage people to do? In particularly, maybe for the younger people who have aspirations of becoming a super rugby player or a future wallaby, um, you know, and are, are kind of, you know, on that cusp. What, what would you recommend to them? What would be your number one sleep tip for them? Um, I often find that hydration is really important. Um, it's It's phenomenal, actually, how... When I'm when I'm not as hydrated, I I generally don't feel as good or have as good a sleep. It's it's a strange little thing, but I I often try and get as much water into my system as possible uh, post training session or even on off days or just before I go to sleep. Obviously, what goes in must come out. So obviously, I I may wake up, but I generally feel really good post sleep. So I I generally try and have a lead of water a few hours before I go to bed and then have some more water uh, upon waking up and I think it's also just I always go back to this it's it's obviously an individual thing but try and get yourself um, a, a decent amount of sleep each night being erratic in terms of your sleep patterns uh, will often leave you with you know erratic energy um, levels throughout the week so if you get into a good pattern of about seven, eight hours each night um, and try and get those eight hours on a consistent basis, your, your body will generally find a good pattern for you to uh, to work off then and, and you can then create patterns around your own exercise and own energy levels according to that. Excellent. Thanks very much, Marcel. Marcel, thanks very much for speaking to me today. Really enjoyed it. Um, Wish you all the best in 2018 with Super Rugby. And uh, when can we expect to see you possibly having another USA cap? When's, when, what's, what's happening there on that front before we go? Uh, the US Eagles will be playing in November against Germany and Georgia. Uh, so uh, if selected, uh, I'll be joining the US Eagles team around that time. So hopefully... Um, if uh, if form is on my side, I'll, I'll be selected and we'll be joining up with the uh, with the boys then. Uh, but for now, it's it's all focus on the Perth Spirit for and defending the NRC title, which starts this Sunday against the Rising at McGilvray from three p.m. It's free, so if you're in Perth listening to this podcast, uh, come on down. Okay, excellent. Thanks very much, Marcel. An excellent podcast there with Marcel. Once again, thanks to Marcel for coming on Sleep for Performance Radio. 
quite a busy week for Marcel as he gets ready for the first game of the NRC competition this year where the Perth Spirit will be defending their title. So if you are available, get down there to that venue at 3 o'clock. Free entry this Sunday and support the Perth Spirit. Um, in the next few episodes, we've got some great episodes lined up. we got Dr. Sarah Hand, an osteopath, talking about sleep and kids. we got Nathan Pitchford from the Western Bulldogs, um, talking about sleep and recovery with that elite AFL team. we got Gavin McClurk, Patagonia athlete, who's just recently uh, raced in the Red Bull X-Alps. And so there are the next three episodes coming up. The order of these does jump around a little bit, and I do apologize for, for that, but... Um, just recording these, editing and getting them out as much as possible is quite time consuming. So I am going to try and get some more extra episodes out. My goal now is to get more of these episodes out. I'm going to go for two a month. Um, and by verbalizing this, you can hold my feet to the flame. So I hope you enjoyed this and stay tuned for some of the other episodes. Until next time, sleep well and train well.